Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, very good to see all of you, and uh, I'm honored again, as, as always, that I get asked to, to come and speak at my, at my church. And so I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of uh, Colossians this morning. We're going to be looking at the first four verses there today. <clears throat> it has been mentioned, and I think we've all thought about it, that we are having a really nice summer. The weather is great. Uh, the weather is uh, largely, uh, uh, well, it rains, but we get lots of sunshine too and uh, nice, nice warm weather. But I think that we would all be uh, honest uh, to say that in some ways the, the nice summer weather without any mandates or anything uh, impeding us, this is the first time in, in a number of years that we've been able to do this, that, that this is in some ways uh, hiding uh, a bubbling cauldron of issues that remain with us, that, that continue to be of concern. Uh, of course, the, the, even the COVID itself is still of concern, and uh, some people are very concerned even to this day. There's uh, news reports our daily news reports are often filled with uh, warnings about other viruses of concern that might be coming along. Uh, and in the news as well, we, we see the, the uh, terrible pictures of war in the Ukraine that, uh, that uh, breaks our hearts. Uh, then there's the, the whole idea of, of our economy, our Canadian economy, and the, the issues that we see there. Inflation is afflicting it and interest rates are rising, and uh, there's supply issues and things like that. Then I, I hear from my friends, my pastoral friends, and uh, almost all of them w tell me that they're, they're concerned about the empty seats that once were full and pre-COVID, uh, pre and they are not at all certain that what, uh, how many of the, of the people that were attending church before are going to return to a church now, and it's a concern. Uh, then there's uh, people, voices, I guess I could say, that are uttering uh, concerns about an erosion of personal rights that, that seem to have afflicted us it, and seem to be more graphically experienced in these last few years. Personal rights and freedoms of individuals as of Christians, of the church, that type of thing. And uh, it is dividing Christians and is dividing families. And this is something that's percolating. And we live with it, and it's a struggle for, for many of us. Uh, then, of course, uh, there is the whole vector of social change that is with us. Uh, social change is, is seen everywhere in movies and, and uh, in, in public life. But uh, maybe e even more graphically, I know that, that some of our children is, in the primary school ages have already experienced a situation where they would come to school and the teacher would take them aside without one of their classmates and say, I just want you to know that your friend, your classmate, has chosen to new personal pronouns for themselves at the fourth grade. And your child comes home, and this child comes home, guess what happened in school today? 
I understand the complexity of the whole um, gender issue. But this is, can be quite alarming for many of us. And we ask questions, what are we to do with all these, these things? But none of this is new. In the year when Carol and I were married, in 1976, I think it was. Yes, I know it was. And uh, uh, the, in 1976, Dr. Francis Schaeffer released a book that became a classic, How Should We Then Live? The Rise and the Decline of Western Thought and Culture. And he wrote this 46 years ago in response to the moral decay that he saw inflicting and infecting society and the church at that time, 46 years ago. And today, it seems that we're living in a world that's going to hell in a handbasket and nobody seems to care. These different things are happening around us and we hush-hush and, and, and nobody is saying too much about it and, and it's just carrying on and, and, oh, it's a great summer, isn't it? And yet there's these lurking things in the background. Uh, some have chosen to respond to this uh, by calls of civil disobedience. Some have chosen to demonstrate their displeasure with flags and grotesque placards. There's a street that I travel on very frequently in Steinbeck, where on the front lawn there is, of course, a Canadian flag, and there is a large placard that starts, the word starts with F, and it ends with U. You figure it out. That these are the kind of reactions that some are making to what they consider a uh, a change in society. Some are choosing to uh, form new political parties and alliances, hoping to fight these, this social change. Uh, these are extreme measures, but for many would say we also are living in extreme times. And we're all forced to ask ourselves, how should Christians live in such turbulent times? With a all these things I'm talking about, and there are many others, how are we to live? What should Christian living look like in this situation? And, and taking a, uh, stealing a term that uh, Dr. Campolo, Tony Campolo, coined many years ago, we asked this. In this year, 2022, in this country of Canada, in the region of Manitoba, in southeastern Manitoba, in the city of Steinbeck. What does that mean, and how does it look for believers to live like believers? Yes, we're at Colossians chapter 3. Let's uh, read the first four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that uh, you would uh, feed us this morning. Uh, give us truth. Uh, help us to understand this text and help us to uh, see ways in which it can answer the question 
that we are facing this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, I think that in these four verses, there are at least three things that, that can help us to address the question I posed for us. And why is that? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote many letters that we have in our New Testament to churches that he had started. Well, Coloss, the church at Colossae, he did not start. In fact, when he wrote this letter, he had not ever been there. But he had heard through his friend Epaphras that there was issues happening in this church, and there probably were similar to issues that were occurring in other places. Why? Because their society was, was doing something or living in a certain way, thinking a certain way, especially in the Gentile world. And, and, and then there were legalists, uh, Judaizers, that were, were, were trying to twist the beautiful, amazing, transforming work of the gospel. Uh, there were uh, also uh, uh, what we would call uh, Gnostics. Now, the Gnosticism hadn't really taken hold yet by this time, but we believe that there were people that were already thinking along those ways, and they were also twisting the gospel. And this was all coming down on the church. The church was feeling very trodden upon, and Paul was very concerned that Christians were going to uh, respond poorly or would not know how to respond to this oppression, this, th these problems that were coming their way. So that's why I suggest to you there is a, not a very uh, clear connection to our question, but it, it, in, an, in a general way, yes, there is. He was concerned for them just as I am concerned for you and, and we are concerned for each other and we want to know how we can live like Christians today. The first thing that, that I think Paul tells us in these verses is that we need to know who we are. Uh, in the first two chapters of uh, Colossians, Paul uses these verses to uh, emphasize, to remind the Colossian believers about the nature of the true gospel. If you go uh, to verse uh, 7, I believe it is, that I want to read for you. Uh, uh, nope, starting at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we hear of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the, all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it always does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God, this truth. Um, then you go down to verse, uh, starting at verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Uh, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, if you have knowledge and wisdom and understanding, then you can respond correctly to when, when, when you feel your rights are being taken away, when you feel that your church is in danger and imperiled by, by false doctrine and teaching and emphasis. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We're getting a hint already as to what Paul's answer will be to this problem. Get to know your God better. 
And we keep on reading. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us past tense to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He wanted them to know who they were. In chapter 2, Paul reminds them, that, uh, reminds them that as believers, starting in verse 12, having been buried with Him in baptism, which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead, he's first of all telling them, if you are a believer, if you have believed the gospel that was preached to you, then you have been Spiritually, at least, you have been buried with Christ in this baptism and raised up with Him, with Christ. And he says in verse 13, And you who were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. You see, he's saying to these Judaizers who say you got to get circumcised if you really want to be a Christian, he's saying, well, for you guys that didn't get that, it's all right. The gospel does not require this. Who are you? You are followers of Christ who have died to the old and risen to the new. Uh, then you go on to the last part of verse 13, and God made them alive together with him, having forgiven us, forgiven us our trespasses. Forgiven us our trespasses. What does that mean for us? To be able to forgive. To, to be able to forgive that person that has this nasty attitude about COVID or has this weird idea about the church or has, you know, the, this is what it means to have, have uh, been raised up with Christ. And then they had their debts canceled and, they, and God no longer held it against them. Now we come to chapter 3 in the first verses, a verse, and we see, okay, now he's, he's given us the solid meat, right? The gospel. And now in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, very important question, but he says, if that is true of you, I have a solution to the problem. I have something to tell you if that is what you contend, if that is what you believe, if that is your uh, point of view, that that is where you are at, that you are of those who have died and risen. You see, if you know your identity in Christ, this will have an effect about how you are going to respond to suffering, ridicule, persecution, uh, corrosion or erosion of our, our so-called rights. I saw uh, somebody text something on, uh, post something on Facebook the other day, a Christian mother, and she uh, bragged, I would say, that she had taken her children to a freedom rally with all the protesters and the FU stuff. And she said, I, 
I will be able to, or, or my children will be able to think back that their parents stood for Jesus Christ. They stood up, we stood up for our rights. What are our rights? I want to tell you what your rights are. Go to John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 12. Starting with 11, Jesus says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. And then there's this big but. But to all who do did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. That is our right. That's the right that we have. Everything's based on that. And whatever Jesus does, it exemplifies for us, it, that should be our uh, directive as well. What are our rights? To become a child of God, to suffer with Christ, to die with Christ. You know, the people that uh, in some parts of the world, let's say... Uh, in some of the Arab countries, the strongly Muslim countries, uh, the, uh, the Christians there, do you think, I'm just asking the question, um, how many of the Christians there do you think go out and have uh, freedom rallies? How about the Christians in China? Uh, how concerned do you think the people in China are that they have to meet underground or in, in hiding for, away from the authorities for fear of their life. I do not see demonstrations. I see people that are fully sold out, devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and their only desire in their life is to see other people join them and suffer with them. Why? Because Jesus is who they are. That's our identity. That's where it starts. Before we can think about how we're going to react to our, our relatives who don't agree with us, that's what we have to uh, uh, concern ourselves with. Who are we? We're in Christ. And, and the second thing that we are uh, pointed out for us here is that we should focus on our position with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek those things. That's what we should be looking towards. That should be what our goal or objectives are. That's what the knowledge is that we want to have more of. That is what we want to have more clearly ex exemplified in our own life is this heaven perspective, this God perspective, this Christ suffering Savior perspective. The word to seek is present tense, which indicates what? That it's an ongoing thing. You don't just seek Him once and have a little prayer when you're four years old, and now I can live the way I want, and I'm assured of heaven. No, th what This is an ongoing hunger and thirst for the things of God. That materialism, uh, uh, other things of, of this world, having a new home, or, or even having a husband or a wife, they are lower in importance than seeking after the Lord Jesus Christ and to be like Him. 
as a consequence of their new life in Christ, these Christians needed to lift their eyes up from the muck at their feet and look up to the stars above towards the position they presently held as believers. They needed to leave behind their concern with, I will say, this worldly things or petty things in the bigger picture so that they might focus their concerns on the things that are above or the weightier things. And you're going to say, well, don't you care about what kind of school system we have and what is being taught there? Don't you care about, about what kind of uh, uh, laws get passed in our federal parliament? Uh, I care very much about those things. But I care even more that that person who is proposing that so objectionable law knows and hears about Jesus from me. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. He tells these Christians to set their minds on the things above. The Greek uh, word here has to do with our understanding, our attitudes, our mindset. It's the way we are approaching life in general. We are not uh, being uh, dragged into skirmishes and arguments that, that ultimately are this world stuff that is all going to be burnt and gone in the future. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 5, Paul calls them, those believers there to take upon themselves the mind of Christ who is equal with God. And then in Romans 12, verse 2, Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of God. So when you are challenged to enter into a vicious argument with your brother-in-law about a vaccine or about public school education versus Christian school education versus homeschooling and all these things. When you're be, being drawn into that, that is where you need to have the mind of Christ. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. You know, that's one reason why Christians do face persecution and suffering. It is because their life, which is is actually with the Lord, is hidden. People don't know. And uh, there will be a day coming when it's not going to be hidden anymore. Sometimes it isn't now either, I, I, I agree. But, uh, but this is what we are told here. For you have died and your life. Uh, focusing our attention on fighting social battles Protesting and political action. These are what we, Paul would say are down-on-earth issues. Not unimportant or they, that they don't matter, but they're down-on-this-earth kind of matters. When our concern, he would argue, should be up there stuff. The stuff that makes eternal difference in a person's life. You can live and you can die, and, and that's all right, because you have Christ. And the person who is, you think, winning this argument that you disagree with 
who doesn't know the Lord ultimately is going to die and spend eternity in hell. Is that what you want? Then keep on arguing with them. When our focus is on Christ, we need not fear the losses here on earth. I know, guys, you're going to say, come on. We want things. We want to have an easier life. We want not to constantly have these fears and concerns. I agree with you, absolutely. But uh, how much effort do you think Christ put into saving himself? And we're supposed to be like Christ. Back again to the book of Philippians in chapter 3, and starting in verse 7. Paul says, I formerly was a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless in terms of the law. The Judaizer, their kind of law. He, he had fulfill, fulfilled it all, he says. But whatever gain I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ, he was willing to give that all up for Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What's the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing in your life? What would you be prepared to hang on to and give everything up so you could have it? Paul would say for himself, if I have Jesus, I will give everything else up. I won't waste my breath trying to protect it. <clears throat> the third thing that Paul gives us here is that we need to put our trust in nothing but Christ. So if we win the political battle, if we win the, the argument, if we get the right to meet, we, we win all these rights, What do we do then? How does our church look then? How does our witness to the world look then if we actually did get those things? I'm not sure, but I, I suspect it wouldn't look very... Well, it wouldn't look the way Christ lived his life. He went to the cross and uh, he suffered and died. For you and me. We are to put our trust in nothing but Christ. For a uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, Paul says that Christ is your life. That's your life. The one he exemplified, the one he taught, the one that, that he. Uh, provided, the one that, that the Holy Spirit enables us with. That life is our life. In, uh, in Philippians 1.21, Paul said, for to, me, for to me to live, it will be for Christ. That's, that's going to be the bottom line for him. If I keep on living, I'm going to live it for Christ. 
To the Galatians, he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. That life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ life. What do we put our trust in? Jesus. We do not put our trust in getting laws changed. They could be changed for the better, and we should certainly devote appropriate amount of effort towards that. But ultimately, none of that, according to the Apostle Paul, living under Rome, under Nero, uh, pre-persecution Nero, but nevertheless under Nero, said, it, for me to live is Christ. And now here, Paul suggests to the Colossians that what is true of him, that he has died and been crucified with Christ and so on, is actually true of every Christian. That's doctrine. That's, that's what we actually understand to be the gospel. That Christ is our new life. And what, does the, what are the practical implications of Christ being our life? Well, for one thing, Christ is making us privy to eternal life. He, he is, he's, uh, this involves our present living, and it also involves what we anticipate living to be hereafter. That means it's going to affect, because of eternity, because of that, it's going to affect how we're going to use those precious few minutes and hours and years that we have on this earth now. But it's also going to affect, of course, the life that is to come. And this means that the Christ-centered life takes on a new character now that is far more positive, far more loving, far more full of grace, and far more forgiving than the life we lived prior to knowing Christ. And the world should see that in us. And our legalistic friends and relatives should see it in us too. All fear is gone. Loss is, overwhelm, uh, loss is overwhelmed by being hidden in Christ. Another text, Romans 8. Romans 8 in verse 38 and 39. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Loss of things, Paul said, it was nothing to him because there was something that nobody, governments, cruel as kind or kind or uh, society that was against him, none of those people could take away that one thing that he had, and that was Jesus. Hang on to Jesus. And then Paul says in the latter part of verse 4 that you also will appear with him in glory. Of course, we're talking here about Christ's return and that he is going to be glorified. You know, Christ was crucified. In his first arrival, he nearly didn't make it on the day he was born. And he lived a life subject to uh, varying degrees of acceptance acceptance and rejection. 
and ultimately he was killed and he died. But Paul says on the, on, when he comes again, which he promises to do, it's going to be different. When he comes again, he's going to be glorified. According to Philippians chapter 2 and 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And when Christ is revealed in glory, Paul says he's going to share that glory with us. With his disciples. Those are those who believed in him and tried to follow his lead. That should be us believers today. We should have the most comforting text here. We will be glorified. There's going to be a day that's going to be far better than whether we get our rights reestablished or whether we, we get a total freedom to practice our, our religion the way we want to or whether uh, we are having to do something we don't want to do with our bodies or, or whatever. None, those are important things, but they're not the important thing. The important thing is the glory is not now. The glory is coming. The glory is coming when the Lord returns. And if you are alive then, you're going to meet Him in the air. And uh, then so will you always be with the Lord. But if, you, if not, he's, he's going to bring the, the saints with Him. And everybody is going to be bowing their knee before the Lord. Those pagans, those people that rejected Christ and have forever been passing those crazy laws, they are going to be bowing their knee before the Lord then. And we too will be revealed. Uh, revealed in glory, just as Christ was revealed in glory. <clears throat> and friends, I told you about the woman who apparently had attended uh, what I consider a bit of a frivolous in a many times uh, ungodly event. And I'm telling you, the demonstration I want to be part of is this one. When Christ returns. That's the demonstration I want to be part of. That's where trust, li that's where trust lies. Not with arguments, debates, marches, or even political victories here on earth. In fact, Paul says to the Corinthians, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And we don't want to be that. We want to be people that will be glorified. We don't want to have just this, oh, uh, Christ can make a difference for me now, but I have no care about the future. Or I'm not going to change anything in my life for it. Friend, no, 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 no. That's not adequate. If you are in Christ, your hope is not just now, but it is future. It is when the Lord returns. So, wrapping this all up here, we back to the question, how shall we then live? You're going to have to uh, take this now, and you're going to have to decide what these principles that I gave you this morning, what they might mean to you in the way you live your life. And that's going to be your business. But it obviously has something to tell us about some of the pressure points that we are facing these days. But it also has something to say about our, the, the state of our church, not Stony Brook, I mean the Christian church. There is too much 
effort, I think, being made by churches today to have a presentation of faith. Everything lines up. It's beautiful, very engaging, very entertaining. Uh, the best music, everything. We're going to grow the biggest church around. We're going to have the best this and the best that, the best preaching, the best everything. And you know what, friends? God's not impressed with that. What he's impressed with is people that live their life to the glory of God and him only. Small or big. And if it's big, praise God. And if it's not so big, then that's all right too. If we are lining our lives up to Jesus Christ and following after Him and never bowing to the earthly, this world stuff. What does, it, what does living like a believer look like? Well, it looks like a man on a cross. A man who saw no need to fight for his life or his freedoms. Why? Because he already had them. And he died so we could think and act like him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, be gracious and kind to us. We, we have to traverse a very challenging time. There, there's things that put pressure on us. Uh, they worry us. They we are concerned about our children. We're concerned about uh, our country. We're concerned about our relatives and friends, our city. And uh, we are perplexed many times as to how we should respond. I pray, dear God, that you would enable us to fully grasp who we are in Jesus Christ. That we would devote ourselves 100% to you that we would face pain, suffering, and persecution with joy. And that we would one day be amongst the crowd that is receiving glory along with you. Help us, Lord, to that end. Jesus, we pray.